Good morning, church. For those of you that I may not have, hello, I may not have uh, met yet, uh, my name is Mallory. Uh, I'm a part of the College of Preachers here at the table, and this is my first time preaching here. Woohoo! So, before my nerves get the best of me and I make a weird Britney Spears joke, <laughs> let's dive in. <laughs> <laughs> in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Church, today we celebrate the transfiguration of Christ. Our gospel reading was from Matthew 17, and we're going to hone in on verses 2 through 4. So let's refresh real quick. There he was, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Church, we proclaim the good news that Christ's light is revealing today what's true on the mountaintop is true in the valley. He is with you. Instead of running from our fears or to our fantasies, we can embrace our realities because Christ is there. When I began attending church, uh, I was part of a charismatic evangelical church, buzzword. <laughs> I was taught that the burning bushes and the transfigured Christ were the proof that God showed up. Glory moments, profound moments, mountaintop moments. The mountaintops were where you go to get your answers, your healing, your time in with God. Jesus is on the mountaintop. You just have to get there and hopefully figure out how to stay. And if you aren't there, at least pretend. <laughs> Anyone ever hear the phrase moving from glory to glory? The collect earlier? <laughs> Uh, we had uh, manipulated this spiritual idea that you move from mountaintop to mountaintop, from spiritual high to spiritual high. Chase the next glory, the next goosebump, the next without a doubt moment that you are with Jesus. I continued on in this mentality into schooling at an evangelical college where I studied theology. Take the meat, spit out the bones. <laughs> After college, I found myself with my husband uh, helping with a church plant. Uh, I was involved in any and every area that they would let me because this was going to be my life's work. We were the typical church that did the flyers galore, all the cool stuff. I was ready to learn, and I was ready for God to show up. Uh, we probably started around 80 or so people, and we took on water from the get-go. Um, while all that was still happening, I was brought on staff, which means I was paid nothing and had to do everything. <laughs> the growth track, the volunteers, the pastor's schedule, anything he needed, small groups, set up teardown, greeter table, events coordination. I filled in when people didn't show up. And eventually I took over the bookkeeping. And I don't say those things to brag because I'm not proud that I did that. <laughs> I only say them to give you a good idea. I had a pretty good idea of what was going on there. Like I said, we took on water from the get-go, and week after week, we were fewer and fewer. We did event after event, push after push, to try and get ourselves afloat. Nothing worked. Nobody admitted it. 
I can remember one of the last staff meetings I was a part of. They took me to a grocery store coffee shop. In hindsight, there's probably a good reason why we had this meeting in public. <laughs> the pastor and his wife looked over at me and said, I think we need a bet the farm moment. He said, this is one of those God shows up in the fourth quarter kind of things. The pastor talked about having research speakers, and he had landed on bringing in a Christian NFL player in a last-minute Hail Mary. See what I did there? <laughs> he said, this is our moment. It's going to cost us $18,000. Yes. <laughs> Me, the bookkeeper, took a second to take in the information and to wonder if he knew we only had $19,000 in the bank. Bet the farm moment is accurate. <laughs> These are the moments you need, like a video of your face, because my insides were like, <gasps> and I'm pretty sure my outsides were, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I sheepishly pushed back, I don't think that this is a good idea. I don't think that this is gonna work. A big grin came across his face and his whole body kind of leapt up and he said, not with that kind of faith, it won't. Uh, yeah. The pastor's <laughs> wife went on to cast some vision about how this was an opportunity <laughs> for God to show up and meet us. We'd see his glory if we, mostly me, showed up faithful to participate. We were moving from glory to glory. No need to face the reality that we were a dying church because God isn't there. There's no room for any of that. Guys, this is the bad news at work. We don't move from glory to glory. The lie here is that the closer we get to God, the more I live with God on the mountaintop. Skip over and neglect the valleys because no good work happens where Jesus isn't. But what do I do with all these valleys? The hard work that only produces failure, the medical diagnosis, depression, trauma, the loss of a loved one, the loss to come, the indifference to a gospel that used to mean so much to me, the loneliness, the constant what-ifs, the political climate, the ordinary, mundane, the everyday. Maybe this is a dark night of the soul season for you, or maybe your toddler could care less about sitting still and being quiet in church, and you feel beat up every Sunday as a vague, random example. <laughs> Instead of moving towards the valley, what glory moment have you held on to? Because the valleys of sadness, pain, confusion, indifference couldn't possibly be where the transfigured Christ dwells. What addiction glares at you from below? What rejection whispers you don't belong here? What relationship feels too far gone? Christ's light is revealing today what's true on the mountaintop is true in the valley. He is with you. Instead of running from our fears or to our fantasies, we can embrace our realities because Christ is there. As I look back at the chapters before our text today, we see Jesus has begun showing the disciples what lies ahead for him. It's a path of suffering, of sorrow, and of laying down his life. Jesus said he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, and he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Valley. 
Peter is well-versed in what's supposed to come next. He's heard about Moses coming down the mountain, transfigured with the glory of God. And in that story, the next steps are learning to set up a tabernacle, a place for God to dwell. But this time, Jerusalem has to happen. Jesus going to the cross means he's no longer just for the tabernacle. He's no longer just for the mountaintops. He will be for all people. So yes to all the glory and yes to the pain and suffering ahead. I have to say, though, I take a look at Peter and I get it. <laughs> Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let me set up some shelters. Why wouldn't you want to set up shop with the God who's revealed himself and his deity right before your very eyes, especially after getting insight into what's coming next? Jesus gives his disciples his death sentence, and then he follows it up with the transfiguration, proof that he is who he said he is, the Messiah. So you have to wonder, maybe the transfiguration wasn't just proof of his divinity, his righteousness, and his glory. It most certainly is those things. But what if it was a reminder, a good news proclamation, that the proof of the mountaintop isn't just a hit of glory to hold on to until the next fix. It's an all-encompassing truth that the transfigured Christ illuminates the truth of the mountaintop into the deepest valleys. What's true on the mountaintop is true in the valley. The transfigured Christ is an icon to ponder, to meditate on, a picture to allow space for Christ to reveal good news to us. But instead, we're so tempted to turn it into an idol. And we've grasped it with clenched fists. What do we do with this? We see the glory to glory mentality in so many places in our society. It's not just here in the church. Someone in sales will be the first to tell you, you work to win, and if you don't, you work harder to win. There's no time for failure, confusion, pondering, move ahead to success, do it quick. Our culture leaves no time for the valleys. Work harder for the next promotion. More flashcards for the kids. Keep up with the Joneses. Make it look good on Instagram. <laughs> Smile. Life's too short to frown. The meritocracy seems to scream even louder sometimes. Stop for nothing until you're on the top, basking in the glory. In the words of the great Ricky Bobby, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> Be on the mountaintop. Stay on the mountaintop. Pretend you're on the mountaintop. Valleys are a waste of time. But church, some of the most beautiful formation happens in the valleys. Christ entered into the valley so that he's no longer just in the tabernacle. He went to the valley to be everywhere for all people. He is with us there. He is with us here. You know, preaching is all fun and games until you're right smack in the middle of needing the good news for yourself. <laughs> Recently, I've had a conversation with Father Matt and Father Ben about discerning ordination. Uh, and as I lean into the process, I keep finding myself not quite ready to move on ahead. I finally confessed that this was on my radar, and now I find myself setting up camp with the transfigured Christ. I feel safe there, 
I'm on staff helping with administrative work. I get to serve on the vestry, and I've had the privilege of leading DNA groups for a couple of years now, something that I absolutely adore. Why would I leave the mountaintop? I have these moments where these feelings and emotions boil up inside of me, and I'm on the mountaintop with the transfigured Christ, and I want to call up anybody and everybody that will tell me, will, t will listen to what I have to say. Ordination. It's this, I know that I know that my life and my calling can't be anything other than this. But then I look up, and there's a valley. It's a valley of what-ifs, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm not smart enough? What if I don't have what it takes? What if I have to face and befriend my hurt and pain from previous leadership? What if I have to face and befriend my own trauma? What if I have to preach? <laughs> what if, what if, what if? I can stay here on the mountaintop with the transfigured Christ, but I don't dare walk into the valley because what if God doesn't go with me there? I've been taught that joy and victory are where Christ dwells, but it feels like I have to reckon and walk through a deep valley of what-ifs to get to the other side. But what if? What if Christ goes before me in the valley? What if Christ is present and at work in the valley? What if Christ is so real he meets me in my reality and my reality is a valley? What if the valley is a gift to my formation? Saying yes towards my valley has meant saying yes to healing. I came to the table with bruised elbows and bruised knees, and I just needed some time. And I've got that here. I've had space to process and remember who God is, what he's up to, and what he's called me to. The next steps towards the Valley of What Ifs has been learning how to preach. I had a lot of fear saying yes to this one. I can remember a, a conversation with Andy Knopfmeyer. Ignacio was there, and he's like, why aren't you preaching? I was like, oh, that's not for me. <laughs> Here we are. He's given me a community to nurture me and encourage me along the way. He's given me people to send me text messages, to pray over me, to hug me and love me as I say yes to my valley. Today, I walk boldly into the valley because Christ is with me there. My community is with me there. One of the commentaries I read this week said, The transfiguration offers the disciples the paradox that while there is nothing they can do to save themselves from suffering, there's also no way they can shield themselves from the light of God that sheds hope in their darkest moments. And I wonder today, friends, do you find yourselves like me? setting up camp next to the transfigured Christ. What valleys lie ahead? What valleys are you in and desperately need to remember the good news that the same Christ on the mountaintop in all his glory is the same Christ with you in the valley? What sadness looms close? What medical diagnosis feels like the weight of the world on your shoulders? Where have you pushed away mourning and lament because you couldn't possibly bear anymore? What areas of repentance do you neglect because the shame has lingered far too long? Church, this isn't us rallying our feelings for positivity. 
This isn't us reading a hundred motivational posters on Pinterest until we get our act together. This isn't self-help. It's not a TED talk where we all leave feeling so much better. This isn't an invitation to shame spiral. Church, this is the transfigured Christ, proof of Christ's deity, the Messiah looking at you on the mountaintop, knowing good and well what lies ahead in the valley. And he says, look, see who I am. See that I love you. See now that I go with you into the valley. Friends, let the good news sink into your bones. Christ's light is revealing today what's true on the mountaintop is true in the valley. He is with you. Instead of running from our fears or to our fantasies, we can embrace our realities because Christ is there. Remember the mountaintop. It's burning with the light of Christ, reminding you he is behind you, beside you, before you, with you, as you move into and through the valley. So what do we do with all of this? Next week, we enter into a season of Lent. I'm now a toddler Anglican, so I know everything there is to know about Lent. <laughs> Lent is a season that preps us towards the resurrection of Christ. So it's a time of repentance, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We're moving towards the death and resurrection of Christ. Despite my childhood understandings that I have to give up everything that I like because I'm terrible, I've come to realize Lent is an invitation it's an invitation to walk in community through repentance and longing for the resurrection. It's a time to take inventory of the valleys in your life that need good news. It's a time to repent and believe, not shame spiral, that the, and to believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's a time to remember that life comes from death and resurrection. It's an invitation to formation. Brennan Manning writes, All day and every day we are being reshaped into the image of Christ. Everything that happens to us is designed to this end. Nothing that exists is beyond the pale of his presence. All things were created through him and for him. Nothing is irrelevant to it. Nothing is without significance in it. Everything that is comes alive in the risen Christ. Everything Great, small, important, unimportant, distant, and near has its place, its meaning, and its value. Through union with him, nothing is wasted, nothing is missing. There's never a moment that does not carry eternal significance. Church Lent is an invitation to remember the mountaintop. In the words of Father Matt, it's not a call to remember without being real because that's escape. It's not a call to be real without remembering because that's despair. Church, it's a call to remember who Christ is on the mountaintop because that's the Christ with you today in your everyday reality. So today, where are the areas that God wants to give you this good news into real life today? We don't have to fear the valleys, friends. We walk into the valleys facing the hope of the resurrection. We can cling to the light shining in the darkest places. We can trust that God cares about it more than we do, and he is present and at work. 
Christ's light is revealing today. What's true on the mountaintop is true in the valley. He is with you. Instead of running from our fears or to our fantasies, we can embrace our realities because Christ is there. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.